stand, please? Beth's going to come this morning and read our scripture from Lamentations. How deserted lies this city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She, she finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed festivals. All her gateways are desolate. Her priests groan. Her young women grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. Her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile, captive before the foe. This is the word of the Lord from Lamentations 1, 1 through 5. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Welcome to spring. The winter is ending. New life is beginning, and we are in the book of Lamentations. How does that feel? It's been such an, we've used this word so many times, unprecedented time in our lives these last two years. And it seems like every single month, or maybe every two to three months, or at least as we turn into a new year the last couple of years, we have some expectations, we have some hope that finally... Some of the hard things are going to pass and some really good things are going to begin and it seems like the, the further we go forward, the more we take a couple of punches in the gut and we take two steps forward, one step back or one step forward, two steps back and it has certainly been a challenging season for all of us these last couple of years. I, I ran into something a few weeks ago that, that really to me was, was a low point in the midst of this pandemic. We had been dealing with, this was, a, a, again, a few weeks ago, the, the latest surge in COVID in our city with the Omicron variant, and our hospitals were really busy again. And if you remember what was happening during those few weeks, you certainly do. It was also affecting staff and employees and businesses and organizations all over our city, all over the country. You'd see signs everywhere from place to place saying that they were dealing with staff shortages, so please be patient, or we can't open the lobby today, only the drive through and that was such a common thing for those few weeks and in those weeks i ran into something i've never experienced before we had we had two deaths in, in our church family in, in the span of a week and both of these families in two different cemetery situations they didn't have enough employees to open up the grave to bury the the family's loved one and any of you who have ever gone through the death of a loved one not only are you dealing with the grief but it's also usually a very stressful time in that first week as you're trying to, to get all the preparations done and, and deal with all the details that have to be covered. Never before have I seen cemeteries, two of them, say we can't open the grave except in this little window of time because we just don't have enough people working and available to do it. Uh, when that happened, I said, man, not only is this like nothing else we've ever experienced in our lifetime, at least in my lifetime, but it's also a time for us to step back 
and each and every one of us acknowledge this has been hard and as we begin lamentations today i i wanted to begin there by acknowledging this season we've been in has been hard and it's been hard for everybody and how much better might we make things if we were just simply willing to acknowledge that on behalf of our neighbor too this has been hard for everyone and because of that maybe we ought to show more grace instead of less grace and maybe in acknowledging that all of this has been hard perhaps we will be able to to look back on this with that kind of grace and and ask the lord so, so what 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 has this been for what is it supposed to mean and as so many people during these last two years have not become better but they've become worse in the process lord how can you use this to make us better us more focused what what can we look back on this and and then finally be able to say we're we're going to get something out of this that makes us more like christ instead of more like the world and so what i want us to do for these next few weeks as we walk through the season of lent together is acknowledge that all of this has been hard and to look back on all we faced and unpack it through the process of biblical lament where the bible gives us some guides to to be able to say to god this has been hard this has been painful we don't understand it all but at the same time god we're calling on you for help because at this point you are all we have left you're the only person to whom we can look and i know for for many of us probably all of us these last couple years this season has not just been hard because of the pandemic it's it's been hard for a lot of reasons and each and every one of us have different reasons but i'm inviting you to go on this journey with me together so that we can let the lord lead us forward and and we can say to him in submission and surrender god we need you to lead us forward so that we can become the people that you are forming and shaping us to be and so i've titled this series on lamentations endless compassion though most of lamentations doesn't really hit this theme it is at the heart of it and it's an opportunity for us to look at a biblical example of people who endured a very hard long season and found this spiritual practice of lament to be a healthy one in their lives throughout this series endless compassion we're we're going to practice lament in ways that will refresh our souls and honor the lord at the same time here's a promise i'm going to make to you again i know this has already been a hard enough season so i'm not going to beat us up further okay that's not my goal my goal is for us to share in this practice of lament together honor the lord in the process and trust that he will use this practice this spiritual season to restore our souls and when we get to palm sunday and then to easter boy we're going to be ready to celebrate the resurrection okay the laments of lamentations are are unique but at the same time they're not the only laments in the bible there are many psalms which are psalms of lament in the book of psalms 
The book of Ecclesiastes has a lot of lament. The book of Job has a lot of lament in it. And Lamentations is just simply a, a smaller collection of several poems that are written in such a way, especially if you read them in Hebrew, that they're meant to be lament, yes, but they're also meant to be a, a declaration that God's word is trustworthy. And that, that upon the word and the promises of God, even in the hardest and most difficult seasons, we can stand. Tradition says it was Jeremiah who was the author of Lamentations. Some have suggested that maybe Jeremiah was compiling here not only his own laments, but the laments of, of the people of Judah. Because they'd all been enduring this hard season together. And really what we're looking at here is is the immediate aftermath of what was the most painful moment and the most painful memory in Israel's history, in the history of the Hebrew people. The, the artist James Tiso really captured this well. In 1902, he, he painted the flight of the prisoners. And you see the Israel's most painful moment as the people are leaving the city. It it's now emptied, it's desolate, the way Lamentations begins. You can see the smoke rising in the, in the distance. If you look really far in the distance, you can see that the temple is on fire. It soon is going to be destroyed. But worst of all, in the foreground are God's people. They're being led from their home in exile. You can see their Babylonian taskmasters. They're now the ones who are in charge. They're the ones who are in control. The people have had to leave everything behind. But worst of all, they've lost their freedom. And now someone else is going to tell them where to go, how to live, how to worship. This will be Israel's lowest point, her most painful moment, her most painful memory. And perhaps even worst, worst of all, is that throughout Lamentations, it is clear that this painful moment is the result of their own sin and disobedience. It's not like God hadn't warned them. It's not like they had not had ample chances to repent. But because of their sin and disobedience, God has finally brought the worst of consequences upon them. And Lamentations, because of that, is really hard stuff. And where we begin here in, in chapter 1 is, is really tough stuff. We only read verses 1 through 5 because some of the vivid descriptions in this chapter I didn't feel comfortable having read publicly with some of the smaller ears in the room. But I want you to open to Lamentations 1 if you haven't already because we're going to refer to, to several verses in this chapter. We're going to cover the whole thing today. And as hard and, and difficult as this reading is going to be, I mean, this, this, these are vivid descriptions of a very brutal and violent and cold and heartless ancient world. And, and God's people are going to receive the, the brunt of the worst of it. Throughout, though, there will be some signs, some, some small moments that I'm calling rays of hope that the people can still trust even in the midst of this that God has good plans for them. 
His endless compassions never fail. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. That's at the heart of Lamentations. But today in Lamentations 1, we, we walk through some of the difficulties. But at, at, at the middle of all of this, I want us to see that Lamentations 1 also reminds us about God's promises. This is tough stuff. It's difficult. But as we go, it reminds us that God always keeps his promises. But it begins in that difficult season. God always keeps his promises, including his just discipline for sin and disobedience, just as he had, had warned them. Listen, no one and nothing can subvert the will and the word of God. No one and nothing can subvert the will and the word of God. No person, no people, no community, no nation, no religion, no party, no philosophy, no idea. No one and nothing can subvert the will and the word of God. In other words, God's holiness and God's righteousness are never in doubt, neither now nor in, in Jeremiah's day. And just as he warned the Judahites, the people of Judah, that he would, God indeed kept his promises concerning their punishment and their discipline for, his, for, for their constant disobedience to him. Thus, Lamentations 1 begins on a very sorrowful note that is sustained throughout this entire book of the Bible. Through all seven poems of lament that we find in these five chapters, this, this first note sustains all the way through. How deserted lies the city. How empty the city is now. How empty we as God's people now feel because of all that we've experienced and all that we're still going through. Literally in Hebrew, it is, is how she sits alone. And chapter 1 gives this strong sense of, of, of loneliness. There is an emptiness. There's, there's a feeling of abandonment by God among the people. There's a feeling of, of rejection. There are all those emotions that come with betrayal because you read through the chapter, you get this sense, lots of people, lots of nations, lots of rulers made promises to God's people that they didn't fulfill. Not only that, but if you remember when we were reading through the books of Kings and Chronicles, the people of God were giving their hearts away to false gods and worshiping idols. That which was supposed to be reserved for God in their heart they were giving away in infidelity and just as God told them they would, those false gods and those idols betrayed the people. They did not come through on the empty promises that they made. How she sits alone. How deserted lies the city. And, and, and this, this image of a, a woman sitting alone becomes the metaphor for Judah throughout Lamentations. And, and throughout the verses that we read, there are three descriptions which show just how far God's people in Judah have fallen. Judah has gone from a princess to a widow. She's a, a widow who has no support system. We read throughout the book, she, she has no husband, she has no sons, she has no family. They've all been taken. 
She sits alone and there is no one to help her in her grief and in her vulnerable state. She was once a, a princess. The word here in, in Hebrew is Sarah, the name Sarah. She was like a princess. She was like a queen. She was a noble lady, but now she's a widow. She's gone from being a ruler of nations to a slave. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. She's gone from being a distinguished and honorable woman to an unclean and an impure woman. Verses 8 and 9 really describe that third part. Those who used to honor her now despise her. They've seen her exposed. And they've seen her sin. And she's no longer welcome in, in the holy spaces and places because she is no longer clean. Verse 2 digs in further. We draw closer to her, so close that we can see the tears rolling down her cheeks as she bitterly weeps at night and there's no one to comfort her and all who were supposed to support her have betrayed her those who used to call themselves her friends and her lovers have now become her enemies i had another leader another pastor ask me recently we we were talking about the issue of trauma and, and this other pastor asked me, do you think today that everything that, that, that's called trauma is actually trauma? Do you, do you think that every time people use the word trauma that it actually is trauma, or do you think that word is overused? And I said, you know, I, I know where you're coming from, but, but, but I'm not sure I know the answer to that. What I've decided is that we've all had some traumatic things happen in our lives. And when somebody talks to me about the trauma in their own lives rather than trying to define trauma or decide if i should should aptly give that definition to what they say i simply just want to be the kind of person who listens and hears their perspective and and tries to understand in a welcoming way what what trauma that person has gone through we've all gone through a lot of trauma in this last season i don't think it's fair for us to sit in a seat of judgment about everyone else and say my trauma is actually trauma but but theirs is not you read through this book of lamentations there are lots of different ways that the people and their trauma are being revealed and the image the metaphor of the woman is is meant to apply to everybody all of the people feel this aloneness but there's also this this language that bounces back and forth between the third person talking about her sitting alone, talking about the city of Jerusalem and, and the people of Judah. But at times also the prophet, whether it's Jeremiah or whoever is, is the author of this book, the prophet says, I, me, I also feel this aloneness. Look there in chapter 1, verse 2. There was no one comforting her. Verse 7, there was no one helping her. Verse 9, Again, there was no one comforting her. Verse 16, again, there was no one comforting her. But then verse 17 says, the comforter seems far from me. Verse 21, again, there was, there was no one comforting me. The, 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 the grieving, the mourning, the lamenting is on behalf of all of the people and all of the brokenness 
that the prophet sees around him. But there are also times where the lament is personal. And the author says, I'm hurting too. I have some questions for God about all of this. There are some things that that I don't understand. There are some regrets that I have. And there are some moments, he says, when I call out to the comforter who, who should be nearby and it feels like I am all alone. The historical moment that's being discussed here as we we saw from Tiso's painting is the moment that the Babylonians smashed into Jerusalem but perhaps it goes unnoticed by many that this didn't just happen in a week or or a month or a few months it was 18 months that the Babylonians laid siege to Jerusalem within those 18 months they they didn't kick out the people immediately Verse 3 tells you what happened in those 18 months. They subjected the people to affliction and to hard labor. They made them live under harsh conditions and function as slaves in their own homes and in their own city. Then they were exiled. Then they were kicked out and they had no resting place. They were ripped from their homes. They were sent out. They were carried off. They were scattered among the nations. And now, as the prophet writes, they have no place to rest. But not only that, when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon laid laid siege to the city, he didn't just carry off the people. He carried off all of God's holy items of worship from the temple. He, He eventually destroyed the temple, but before he did that he paraded all of of god's holy elements items of worship out in front of them and carried off the treasures the gold back to babylon there had to be some moments when this was happening that god's people were like we we know the stories of old we know that there were times when people were were dropped dead immediately when they messed with god's stuff why now god is this able to happen why are, are our enemies able to desecrate our places of worship? Why now, as verses 4 and 5 describe, are the nations coming into Jerusalem, God's holy city, and into the temple, God's holy place, not as pilgrims to worship, not as those who would come to celebrate at Israel's great festivals, but they're coming in as enemies, as marauders, as vandals intent on destruction and devastation this is why the songs of lamentations are not joyous festival songs but they're dirges they're songs of lament verse 10 adds to this idea the the enemy laid hands on all of our treasures and we saw pagan nations entering the sanctuary those who you had forbidden to enter your assembly now come and go unchecked and they're taking holy things with them god always keeps his promises including his just discipline for sin and disobedience there is no one and nothing that can subvert the will and the word of god God's holiness and righteousness are never in doubt. 
And the hard, hard truths coming out here in the first chapter of Lamentations is that the people are suffering the consequences that God had been warning them about for generation after generation after generation. But thanks be to God, when we think about his promises, he is is so faithful in keeping his promises that he does not abandon his people. Now, did he remove his hand from them for a while? Absolutely. Did he allow them to stay in a state for a season where they, they did feel alone, where they did feel abandoned and rejected? Absolutely. And there are other descriptions of their suffering that come out in this chapter. Th- think about this from the perspective of the suffering of the people themselves. All her people groan as they search for bread. They, they barter their treasures for food just to keep themselves alive. The Lord made us desolate. He made me faint all day long. The Lord has rejected all the warriors in our midst. He summoned an army against us to crush our young men. In the winepress, the Lord has trampled the virgin daughter, Judah. This is why I weep. My eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me. No one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. Outside, the sword bereaves, and inside, there is only death. We don't have to look far in our world to see this level of suffering now, to see places where where people are, are trading their treasures for food, their children are hungry. Outside, the sword bereaves, and inside, there is only death. As one scholar said, the the catalog of horrors that we find in Lamentations are things that we continue to see reenacted across the globe. But there's also the hope of Lamentations, the hope that God does not abandon his people, that is the truth and the reality that, that also is still with us, that we still see god's faithfulness all over the globe even in the midst of suffering yes there are 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 issues where there are massive devastation and traumatic events there are still people who are displaced and exiled We're, we're obviously watching these hard things taking place in ukraine but also in the last few years we've seen the same thing resulting in families coming to tulsa from myanmar and from places like venezuela and Mexico, and Afghanistan, and Syria. There's pain, there's suffering, there's hurt. But there are also these beautiful moments where we see God's faithfulness, God's people worshiping, God's people being a light in the darkness, and singing not just the songs of lament, but those festive songs of worship and joy, saying, indeed, we believe God has not abandoned us, but God is with us. And, and as a result, in Lamentations, yes, there's all this suffering, but there are also these prayers, these calling out to God. These moments in chapter 1 where, where the prophet is saying, but God, I do believe you haven't abandoned me. Look, Lord, look on my affliction. God, I do believe you can still set your eyes upon me and my situation. The enemy has triumphed. Verse 11, Lord, look and consider I am despised. 
And then even in verse 22, there at the, the end of the chapter, even still this belief in God's justice. Lord, let all their wickedness come before you. Deal with them, those who have, who have desecrated our land and our holy place. Deal with them as you have dealt with me because of my sins. My groans are many and my heart is faint. Even in the lowest point, the most painful moment, the most painful memory, there's still a crying out, a calling out to God. And I believe that, that here we see, and, and this is a theme we'll return to throughout these next few weeks, that Lamentations holds intention to very important realities about the situation in, in Judah, but also the, the nature of, of the God of Judah. The, the situation in Judah, first of all, their, their condition is the result of their being unfaithful to their covenant with God. We've seen that. And Lamentations is going to hold this up all the way throughout. We must own where we've been wrong. We must own that much of what we're facing is because of our sin. But the other thing that's held in tension is that because of God's unfailing love and his endless compassion, there will always be hope for Judah and Israel because God will never be unfaithful to his covenant to his people. Yes, they've been unfaithful to the covenant, but God will always be faithful. And as dark as these poems are, for the most part, those two things are held in tension, and God's faithfulness rises to the top. Rather than abandoning his people because they've been unfaithful, God promises he will redeem them when they repent. Again, They've been unfaithful. God is always faithful, but when they repent, they will experience redemption. They will experience restoration. And when we go forward chronologically and we read Ezra and Nehemiah, we see that that becomes the case. He will not cast off Israel forever. I love this quote from Paul House. God's righteousness demands that sin be punished. But God's faithfulness requires that promises to the faithful be kept. He will not abandon his people forever. And as I promised in each message in this short series, we will find some rays of hope. God always keeps his promises. He does not abandon his people. And finally today, our ray of hope. God always keeps his promises. A day of final redemption is coming when every wrong will be made right. There are, are two, you really have to, to search to find them in chapter one, but there are two very brief yet hopeful statements that I believe rise to the top in this chapter as rays of hope. The very beginning of verse 18, first of all, the prophet acknowledges again that the Lord is righteous. Even in the face of his own suffering and that of his people, he says God is good. The Lord is righteous. In my own struggles in life, my own difficult seasons, my own times when I've said to God, I don't understand and I don't know why, I have rested in two simple statements. 
I still believe God is good and I still trust him. And the prophet says, the Lord is righteous. God is good and I trust him. And then in verse 21, it's subtle but it's there. This hope of a day of final redemption that's coming when when every wrong will be made right. The prophet cries out, may you bring the day you have announced. May, May you bring the day finally of justice and righteousness a day when when all the the evil that we live with in our world and in our hearts will be gone forever and your justice your righteousness will reign supreme The, the prophet didn't know all that we know now looking through the lens of the new testament in in his mind probably the the day that the Lord announced was one where where they'd be freed from their enemies in the moment. They'd be restored to their land. Their land would be healed. But we know there's there's even more of a promise of redemption than that. There's even a more important day coming than, than Jeremiah or the ancient people could have understood. Because we know that as we read in 1 Thessalonians, Christ has died and risen from the dead. Sin has already been defeated. Death has already been defeated. And the Lord has announced a day. He's already come once where he's coming again. And when that day comes, that day of final redemption, indeed it will be the day of justice because every wrong will be made right. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise we who are still alive after that will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and listen hear the echoes of lamentations and so we will be with the Lord forever our afflictions now are hard but they are temporary Our season that's been hard and difficult and painful, it is traumatic, but it is temporary. There is a day coming where we will be with the Lord forever. And yes, it's a future hope, but it's also a hope for today that gives us the confidence to say, God is good, I trust Him, and I will rest in Him. And as we said in the beginning, no matter how hard this season is, I want the Lord to use it to make me more like Christ, not less like Christ. More committed to Him, more focused on the work of His kingdom. Not on all of the things that that cause us to be so anxious and so angry that let's be honest, two years ago we didn't even have opinions about most of those things. We will be with the Lord forever. And so today I'm doing what what Paul wrote, what the Spirit led him to say. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Be encouraged today that there is a day of final redemption coming where everything that is wrong will be made right. Our faith, our confidence, our hope is not in our own faithfulness and strength, but in God's faithfulness and strength and in God's love. Because of that, we do not grieve like those who have no hope. But our faith, our hope, 
is in the promises of God. And God always keeps his promises. His mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Lord, I thank you so much today that in our hearts we can proclaim and stand upon your word that you are good and that you always keep your promises. Lord, we lament, we, we say out loud, we cry out at times, this is a hard season we are in and have been in. And Lord, for some of us, it has not made us better, it's not made us healthier. But there have been some moments where we've known that you were drawing our, our attention, our focus back on you. And I pray that in these last couple moments we have in this service, Lord, that you would just do that very thing. Draw our attention and our focus to you. Help us to cast off and to lay down anything that may be distracting us from truly seeing you for who you are, your goodness, your love, your justice, your righteousness, your mercy, your compassions. And Lord, I pray today that you would draw us to you. And if there is any person who has never truly placed their trust in Jesus Christ, said, yes, I do believe that he died for my sins. I do believe that he rose again. I do believe he's coming back. And I trust him for forgiveness and redemption and a new life. Lord, today would you speak to that person's heart and would you draw them to you? And for each and every one of us, Lord, would you help us to put our focus on you, to turn our eyes to you and follow you closely as we go forward. I pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has risen from the dead and who is coming back again. Amen.